An Honorable Profession is brought to you by Tech for America, an organization dedicated to providing a platform to solve America's toughest public challenges. For more information, visit T4A.org. That's T, the number four, A.org. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports some of the most thoughtful and innovative voices in American politics. Check out newdealleaders.org for more information. And do me a favor, please tell your friends about An Honorable Profession and Ray us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Today, I'm talking with Boise Council President Lauren McLean. Lauren's an environmentalist, a small business owner, and a community leader. She also represents Boise, a tiny blue dot in a very red state. She's had to work across interests and political parties to achieve her goals, not to mention raising two kids while serving in elective office. Lauren, welcome to an honorable profession. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. This will be fun. Yeah, and... Um, can you talk a little bit about your path into politics? What caused you to run? Um, is this something you've been planning your whole life uh, to be on the Boise uh, City Council? <laughs> or, uh, or is this something that just sort of came, came to be? Sure. So um, it's funny that you ask if it's something I planned my whole life to be on the Boise City Council. Um, I actually didn't discover Boise until I was 22, 23, actually. And um, my husband and I took a trip to visit the city because um, he had a job interview. And we didn't know what we were flying into, to be honest. Um, and as we landed, I looked out the window and saw these beautiful foothills, and I thought, oh, this looks interesting. And um, my first evening there, while he was off interviewing, I went for a run through the city and the hills and fell immediately in love. And we changed our plans where we thought we were moving to Seattle and moved to Boise three months later. So no, I did not always <laughs> dream of being on the Boise City Council. Um, but it is, by the way, for those who haven't been there, it is an absolutely stunning city. A beautiful downtown, a river that goes uh, right through the middle of town yeah. with a park adjacent to it, and then the mountains all around. It's, it's an amazing place. It's a really, really special place. So once I got there, I actually didn't know what I was going to do because my plans had suddenly changed, and I started volunteering in politics. Um, and then in my neighborhood association, I ran a campaign that made it possible to set aside open space in the foothills. And that really launched me into my um, kind of volunteer services in the city. So was on the parks board and then the planning and zoning commission and while I was working, of course. And then um, a seat came open on the city council and the mayor actually nominated me for that position. So since then, I've run twice. Um, but it, in some ways, I always felt like the accidental candidate. I wasn't quite sure I wanted to jump into politics, but I knew I loved my city and really loved being involved with it. And then this kind of came to be. Tell me about the difference between your work as a community volunteer or even on city commissions uh, versus being an elected official. Tell me about the different dynamics and what you can and can't get done. Anything that surprised you? Oh, that's a great question. Being on the Parks Commission is even different from being on the Planning and Zoning Commission because we would advise the council, look at park plans. And we had some contentious decisions every now and then, like removing the Ten Commandments from a park. Um, but that was a long time ago. And then when I was on planning and zoning, of course, it's quasi-judicial. So we were making decisions, making decisions on whether or not projects proposed to us were appropriate. But then also I was involved with the, the comprehensive planning that looked 20 years ahead for the city. So I got to help write that, 
which was great. And then I moved on to the city council, which, of course, I can do more. I sometimes have to overturn decisions that the Planning and Zoning Commission makes. Um, But then I got to implement the comprehensive plan that I've been involved with writing, which has been really great, which means we look at... um, population projections, where we plan to have density, and and we created a plan that looked at sustainability, economic development, the arts, schools, how all of that combines to create a great, vibrant city. Um, and then, so, of course, I'm informed by that plan when I make decisions on what we should annex and, and whether or not we should approve plans that are brought before us. So this is something uh, that I imagine most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about, but city council members and mayors do, which is uh, most cities do these general plans that are projecting 20 years out and trying to figure out what the city will look like and how dense it should be in some areas and what areas you want to protect. Um, and I, it's an it's, it's sort of invigorating experience, but it also um, it's also crazy to try to think what it's going to be like 20 years because of changes in technology, changes in mobility and cars and all that. Uh, how did you approach planning for a city uh, for 20 years from now? So I looked at it, of course, with the lens that I come to things with, which is a sustainability lens, with recognizing that as the world is changing, we have to set ourselves up for new technology, um, a new economy, climate impacts, and this is where we get really geeky as city people versus like lofty elected officials at the state level. Um, We think about the fact that every um, zoning and density decision impacts transit, which impacts climate. And the, the codes and the standards to which we require buildings to be built impacts climate. So I, I really looked at it like that. How can we, when we know the Boise, when we knew 10 years ago, Boise would become a, a bustling, vibrant city. I knew 20 when I visited it. You could just feel it. Um, but when you, when you look at population projections and you think about you have to think about how the world will change, and then you make as many recommendations and decisions as you can, at least from my part, um, that take um, the impacts of climate and what that will do to our economy into consideration when we're, when we're making these decisions. What have the impacts of climate change been on Boise? What are you seeing in terms of the change now, and what do you expect? Well, we, in some ways, have been lucky in that we haven't seen what you've seen in other places. We, of course, see more wildfires. Those are higher in the forest than where we are. Um, we are blessed with both groundwater and surface water right now, so we don't have those. So it's more a matter of um, creating climate ab- adaptation plans because we know our days will get hotter, so people will use air conditioning more. So we need to look at the cost of power and uh, try to offset that by looking for renewable energy sources. And so we're doing work like that. We just um, reclassified our sewage treatment plant to the water renewal facility. And um, now if you visit Boise, you can drink beer and cider that's made with our 100% renewed water that's been a test from the water renewal facility. So we're looking at, you know, in the long term, our water needs to be a commodity that can be reused. So um, you're drinking beer for science and um, sustainability. Yes, yes. And, um, and the names are quite creative, as are the ones <laughs> that people make up that we didn't allow the breweries to use. So, you know, you're talking about sustainability and climate change. Um, you're in Boise, Idaho, which is a, a blue dot in a very red state. And the state I imagine that your state is not as um, focused or may not even believe in climate change uh, uh, at this in the state legislature. Can you talk about the dynamics of being a, a progressive city in a, in a d 
deeply red state? Sure. And and first, I do want to say that our governor-elect, Brad Little, um, made climate change a topic during his campaign. He's a Republican. I really look forward to working with him. And while I'd say people in the city don't feel the impacts of climate the same way that folks in our communities that are ranchers and farmers do. And so there are more and more people across the state of Idaho that are recognizing that things have changed, that their growing seasons are different, um, that the water levels are different, which impacts you know what their herds are able to eat when they're roaming. Um, and so there's there's a recognition by people that things have changed and we need to do something about it. And I'm really appreciative and looking forward to the fact that we now have a Republican governor-elect who's going to take this on. That's that's a big change. It, it, it's a big change. And um, the conservation community worked hard um, to, to make that issue um, an issue that floated to the top this time around. And so we, have, we do have, like, the sh- bright, shining stars throughout the legislature that are working hard on this. Um, in fact, some New Deal leaders like Alana Rubel um, are really working to push climate and to have that conversation, but it's been difficult. Now, on the city level, of course, there's an, ex- there's an acceptance that, yes, we've got to do something. We know that this will impact our economy. The people that we live around know that this could impact our economy. So those that are thinking forward will be the ones that thrive, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, across our state, what we find is that like good policy builds strong cities. And so while we're nonpartisan, you end up finding that there are slightly more progressive folks that are living in cities, that are running cities. Um, but at the end of the day, there are Republicans and Democrats that just have to think differently than, than if you're in, in the legislature. But I look at being in Boise, there's times it's tough. We'd like to be able to have a transit system, but we don't have local option taxing authority. The legislature doesn't want to give us that. Um, We try to pass um, forward-thinking policies that welcome all people, and and we often are at risk of having the legislature make a run at us saying we can't. Um, But I view our role as the capital city in Idaho as, as very important in terms of setting the stage and setting the debate on what makes a welcoming, vibrant, kind, and successful city because we need those conditions across the state to be able to have a thriving economy across the state. We've seen, you know, whether it's because of social media or the, the segmentation of news, um, real divides in terms of the country almost being at each other's throats. How's it working on the ground in Boise um, when you have a wide array of political beliefs all in relative close proximity to each other? Is, are there still good conversations happening uh, or are people starting to, to sort by, by political belief? You know, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think what you see in Boise and in Idaho as you do across the nation is that people do somewhat sort by political beliefs. But our state's small enough still, and even though we're, we're the fastest-growing metro area in the country, it still feels small enough where you can have real relationships with people that you don't um, necessarily agree with on everything. So my most valued relationships in the city are with people of different party that we can sit down and disagree on kind of national issues, but at the end of the day realize that we agree on what we need to do to move Boise forward. Um, and so for that, I feel really lucky. Of course, as the debate and the tenor of things has changed, m- some of our hearings have become more contentious. And I wouldn't just blame it on social media. We have to recognize, too, that Boise's growing incredibly quickly. And so many of us are concerned that we're going to lose that soul of what pulled us all either to stay in the city or to come to the city as, as new residents. And so that, that combined with kind of the tenor that we see nationally now has made some of our meetings more difficult than they have been in the past. Um, but at the end of the day, I 
find that even when they're difficult, I really love them because if you listen to why people are saying what they're saying, it's because we all share the value of loving the place that we've chosen. And so it, it's, it's a matter of working through how we take that love of place and our intense desire as a community to build this city that's as incredible as we feel it is and, and then figure out what exactly that is and know that we always won't agree on the solution, but hopefully long term we'll be able to get together where we want to be. How do you manage that? I mean, uh, growth means change, and change is hard, especially when people truly love a place. Uh, how how are you trying to keep the the soul of Boise or the thing that attracted you when you were twenty two to 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 move there um, as you're under enormous growth pressures? It's you know I I I have a feeling if you ask the public, they'd give you a different answer than I can give you. Um, but what I say is what I would say is that. I listen intently. I take what I hear, and it informs sometimes what I change or don't change with the proposal that's brought before me. It's hard to give voice to what I feel about our city, um, and a lot of people say that, not voice, but to give words to it. And so in my mind, any proposal that we see when it comes to growth and development has to fit within my vision of a an authentic vibrant western city that embraces its natural place um, but takes advantage of the energy of people to create the environment we all want to live in which is the built environment so that we can have culture and restaurants and parks and all these things Um, and and at some point in the future the only way we can um, stop the changes we feel, especially when it comes to moving around in our valley, is to have a transit system. And the only way we can do that, of course, is to first have the funding, but we have to build out the need for it. And so bring people closer to the core of the city, create density where we've had more spread out stuff because people are coming. We don't want to eat up all of our farmland. And so approve projects that build on that vision of solid neighborhoods that are walkable, that connect to schools and businesses, and at the end of the day can be an active part of our vibrant downtown. When you look at your record, one of the things that strikes uh, strikes me is that there's oftentimes uh, people who are either pro-environment or pro-business, and they, they're treated as though they they can't be intertwined. Um, but you've been very clear that you're extremely pro-conservation and pro-environment, and you're also pro-economic development. Can you talk about how you meld those two in order so that they aren't, it always isn't a choice between one or the other? So I've always had a, under, a hard time understanding how people don't meld the two. Um, somebody told me once that, well, you are doing sustainability work, so you care about the environment, and I'm doing business work, so I care about business. And I just I scratched my head because I thought, no, like you can't, you can't have a thriving economy in a, especially in a Western city, but really around the world, if you aren't thinking about the future impacts of climate, if you aren't thinking about how to protect the incredible resources that you already have to that create for, at least for us an unrivaled quality of life, because all of that goes together. So if we want to, if we want to be able to pitch our city to businesses. Of course, I prefer to create a city where homegrown businesses can thrive and grow. But if we want to pitch our city to businesses, we have to protect as much open space as we can and protect our clean water. If we want our residents to um, enjoy the life they have after work and on the weekends with their families, we need to create parks and open space. But at the end of the day, 
we need affordable power, enough power, um, and a city that works. And all of that is in many ways related to the environment and climate. And I see also great opportunity when we look at how the world's changing to seek ways to innovate. So businesses that, you know, tap into our geothermal system or to encourage businesses to create technologies that will harness our geothermal, that will think about how we can build more efficiently and to get those folks working um, together creatively in our city, I think all goes together. Hey, a quick announcement. We're taking this podcast on the road. We'll be live at the TomTom Civic Innovation Festival in Charlottesville, Virginia on April 10th. I'll be talking to some really cool mayors there. Please join us. For more information, visit tomtomfest.org. Now back to my interview with Lauren. So you have six members of a city council and a mayor, and you're now the council president. How do you sort of craft an agenda and uh, work with both council members as a legislative and then the executive as a mayor in order to to enact the things that you're talking about? So um, I feel blessed in many ways that our city as um, council and mayor um, are much less contentious or more, much more cohesive than many councils are. We all run out large, so the six of us don't come with a neighborhood interest. We come together with a, with a citywide view. Um, but every day I'm learning, right? So when I was nominated by the mayor seven years ago, I like had a whole year of storming and norming, and then I had all these ideas I wanted to implement. And jumping right into sustainability, which became our live program, was really tough. Like the council wasn't quite ready for me to be saying like, I want to do this, 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 this. And so I learned how to kind of back off in some ways on that. Um, but now we have a, a program that's more intentional and goes much more deeper through the city than I ever would have imagined we would because we have amazing staff. So we work closely with the city staff. The, the council actually only has one and a half staffers total for the six of us um, that work super hard. But on policy and other things, we work with the mayor's city staff. And so we, it ends up creating a team environment where um, we're working with the mayor's chief of staff on the council agendas and leadership gets together with the mayor every week to go through um, future projects. And then when there are um, topics that need to be dealt with quickly or unexpectedly, it's a matter of just picking up a phone and having conversations um, with the council members to get something done. People forget that not only is it working with the community, but then it's working with your colleagues, and then it's working with the city staff to implement. It's a it's a it's a major process to move anything. Through. And it's so much slower than I would have imagined. People out there listening, maybe like I think about politics, but everything takes so slow and it's so long, especially maybe younger folks. Uh, uh, so tell me, how do you self-regulate to? to to, to be okay with the delay, but then uh, but then also to keep pushing. So I found the delay incredibly frustrating my first couple of years of being on council. I got to be honest about that. I just didn't expect it. And um, especially since we all agreed on everything. Um, so I was just so surprised. And now I think it's just a matter of like having reset my expectations on, you know, how long it'll take to get things done. If there's an important statement we need to make resolution-wise, that's easy to do quickly. Um, but the the hard policy topics of building codes and um, energy standards, we're setting a goal for um, 100% renewable energy 
electric energy in our city. Um, likely by 2040, I'd love it if it was 2035, but that's taken a long time. But now I find myself less frustrated because I realize that these things, there's a process. They just take time. It's, yeah. And, and I always remind myself, the, the fact that it takes so long and so many people are involved means that eventually it's, it sticks more, right? Because people are more bought in. Yeah. Whereas if you just try to do something quickly from the top down, people quickly forget about it. And so that's like, what I tell myself yeah, to that's make That's, my, that's make a good way to better. think about it. And the other thing is, so we've been working on housing and homelessness now, and it feels like forever. It's been five, six years. And, and I understand from the public perspective that we have to do something because the housing prices in Boise have shot up exponentially and then we have a homelessness issue and so how do you create all those strata of housing that are available at every price point it takes time um, but just this week nine residents new residents formerly homeless um, residents of Boise moved into a permanent supportive ho- housing project that opened and that took a while but it, it's now on the ground it's built and folks have a home and we'll see more of that um, but it but it's it wasn't nearly as quick as everybody needed it to be and really wanted it to be right and that sounds like a good day, which leads into my next question of tell me, tell me what an average day looks like for you. Tell me what a good day looks like and tell me, tell me about a bad day too, just to be honest with our listeners. Okay, sure. Um, so first off, we are not full-time city council people. So my day is always filled with juggling lots of things. My iPad for the city on my desk, my computer on my desk, moving back and forth between my full-time job and, and my city role. Um, on a, a good day, we started having town halls this year, which I love, and those make me feel like they're good days, even when we've got a lot of unhappy people in the room. Again, like I talked about, I love hearing people talk about our city. Um, and so a good day would include a either a town hall or some other citizen engagement that I've been part of. Um, we have great city council meetings where we you know, wrestle with hard decisions um, I love it when we actually don't all end up voting together and we have a back and forth and, and people trying to change opinions of people um, on the council. And then we take a vote and, and we move on. Those, I mean, I, there, there are great things about it and there are not so great things about it. There are days when you're going through the hearings and you think, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Am I going to make the right decision? Like, And it just... Sometimes it just doesn't feel good until you have that moment of clarity. And then at least for me, I feel a little bit better about the vote I might take. Um, but it, it, for me, it all comes down to those interactions with people that make it what I really love about it. That's the best part. You're expected to make decisions on power, on housing, on roads, on, on policing, on fire, all these uh, huge amount of subject matters that you can't be an expert in. So tell me about how you get to a decision. And then uh, if you do, if you're not sure, but you have to, t- you have to take a vote, how do, you, how do you approach that? So first off, I need to say we are the only city of our size in the country that doesn't get to control its roads. Uh, wow. So that's a bad day when the roads district does a pilot project on bike lanes and then decides not to do them. Um, when we want to make... Um, decisions for land use that we can't because we've been handicapped by the roads department or That's roads crazy. commission. Um, so I just want to throw that out yeah. there because often the frustration that I will have around how hard it is to create a bus rapid transit system, how we can't get bike lanes throughout the city the way we need to, although we have an incredible network, we could have so much more um, if we were able to be a part of that 
decision-making process. Um, but yes, we, at the city council, it seems that we val- value geekiness over political skills. There's so much, it's drinking from a fire hose in terms of all the things that come at us. And, all, and that's why I say having very professional city staff is so important and the processes in place that make it possible for them um, to do their job is so important because there is no way six elected officials that are part-time um, at best can really um, know everything that they need to know to have the city working the way it does, which is why, really, at the end of the day, the mayor runs the city and has a staff of several thousand people um, at City Hall and around the city, um, and, and he's making those executive decisions that, that you know, have more quick impact than what a city council can have. That makes sense. Switching to your personal life, Mm -hmm. uh, you are the mom of a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old, but you've been in office for seven years, so uh, your kids have grown up uh, with you in office. Tell me about how they think about your service and how how you think about them in your service. My son was born when I was on the parks board, and he would come to meetings with me when he was an infant. And so both of them... Sometimes I feel sad because both of them have always grown up with me being gone one night, whether it was a parks meeting, a PNZ meeting, or now a city council meeting. Um, but they've grown up knocking on doors, attending meetings, you know, just kind of knowing what's happening in their city. I'd love to hear from them, actually, like their perspective at some point when I'm not around so they can speak freely. Now when I look back at pictures, they were really little, and I looked so much younger when I was um, <laughs> sworn into city council. They, along with my husband, Scott, um, were actually the ones that convinced me to put my name in the hat to begin with. Um, So I've been super supportive all along. My daughter loves policy and politics, so she eats it up. Um, Aiden is, you know, along for the ride, not as interested, except we had a very contentious hearing on this bike skills park we were going to create. And I'm just going to tell you the story because it cracked me up. And um, he's a mountain biker. And so he announced me he was coming to um, the city council hearing to testify. And I was like, Aiden, you can't do that. And he's like, why not? I'm like, because I'm on council and I have to make a decision. And because and, and, he's wanted to talk about it at home and I wouldn't let him talk about it at home. And he's like, Mom, I just want to talk about this bike park. And I'm like, I can't talk about the bike park. And so we went back and forth on whether or not I kissed by And he's like, so you're denying me of my right to talk about my community. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> There's like no way around it. So... He showed up at the hearing and sat in the front row and watched me the whole time um, with all of his little buddies that were there to testify. Um, but but it was cool, actually, because that was his first four-way into really paying attention. Yeah. Um, and he's continued to pay attention, so I think he might get involved, too. Um, but my kids always joke that I'm Leslie Nope. Um, <laughs> and they watched Parks and Rec before I did, and they would talk about this show, and I didn't know what they were talking about. And... Finally, we started watching it together, and they would just sit there and crack up and say, Mom, you do that. Mom, you do that. Mom, that's you. There is so much truth in Parks and Rec. Between the laughs, there's so much truth. So did you end up voting for the bike park? I did vote for the bike park. We made some changes to it, sent it to the Parks Commission, but I did vote for the bikes park. There you go. So you got you My got, son was very worried I wouldn't. Yeah, so you got, a, you got, a, you got your Mother's Day gift that year. Tell me, you've you've been on the council for seven years. You're now council president. Um, do you have any thoughts about different office going forward, or are you um, going to stay at the local level? What's your interest? 
You know, that's a, a question that people ask me multiple times a week, to be honest. I should be more um, practiced with it. I love our city, but I also love our state. So when I think about my future, I want, if, if I do anything at all in politics, it has to be in a place where I feel like I can have impact. Um, and so, um, of course, I love our city with this deep passion and being mayor would be an incredible honor and daunting job. We have a great mayor that will be running again. So, you know, if in four years I'm ready, I would look at that. But four years is a really long time in politics. Right. So yeah, it's, it's hard for me to answer, um, honestly. But I see, I never saw myself in politics in the way that I am. I don't like politics as much as I like the opportunity to drive policy and work with people, which I know that that is politics, but it's like the game that is so hard. Yeah. So for me, it's really hard to say that I want to do X, Y, or Z and because I'd have to look at what my life looks like at that moment if I feel like I have something to offer to our community and then make the decision at that point. Well, we look forward to hearing about your future service. Lauren, thanks for joining us on An Honorable Profession today. Thank and you, Ryan. Uh, we all, I encourage everyone to go check out Boise. Uh, and you can even have some of that uh, newfangled beer that they have. Uh, and from, cider. And cider from reclaimed water. So, uh, and enjoy the mountains and the parks and the, and the river and everywhere else. And a well-managed city. So, um, thank you for joining us. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about your exploits in Boise. Thank you, Ryan, very much. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we're keeping things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.